Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson will join us today to talk first about election security and what threats she anticipates during tomorrow's midterm elections. We'll also discuss her own re-election campaign and what she'd hope to do in a second four-year term. Then we'll talk more politics with Matt Grossman, political science professor at Michigan State University, and hear from you about what you're expecting from tomorrow's balloting. That's all next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. I was driving around a bit over the weekend, noticing all the leaves on the ground, noticing the temperature change, and thinking about the approaching time of voting. Yes, here in Michigan, uh, Election Day often is accompanied by fall and the great fall weather we have. It made me think about campaigns past and all the votes that we've taken and the sort of drama of Election Day that often unfolds in front of us. We are now just one day from Election Day 2022, a midterm election with a lot at stake. Uh, the governor of our state is running for re-election, uh, as are the two other uh, statewide elected officials, Secretary of State and Attorney General. Uh, nationally, the balance of power in the uh, U.S. Congress is at stake. Uh, locally, uh, in Michigan, for the first time in a long time, the balance of power in our legislature is actually at stake because of the redistricting exercise that we did a year ago and how different all of those districts look. We want to talk today about what's on your minds as we get closer to Election Day. Are you thinking about a particular race? Are you thinking about a particular vote that you will plan to cast or maybe have already cast because here in Michigan, you can be voting uh, from home whenever you want to. Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And we can work you into the conversation that way. Uh, we really want to get a great conversation going today about your anticipation and maybe some of the anxieties you have about Election Day. Remember, just two years ago on Election Day in Detroit, we saw some really awful behavior and really uh, serious threats to the counting of ballots. Uh, are you worried that that's going to become the norm, not just here in Michigan, but think of all the places around the country where our politics are so tense and the two sides are so much at each other that some people think the best way to win is to make sure that the other side doesn't vote or that the votes cast on the other side 
uh, don't count. Uh, Speaking of election security and making sure that votes are cast and counted, uh, we're going to start today with Michigan's chief elections officer, the Secretary of State, uh, Jocelyn Benson. Uh, She is getting ready, like the rest of us, for tomorrow, but uh, I imagine that her work looks really different than the rest of ours, uh, given all of the things that need to happen to make sure that this is as safe and secure election as possible. So I am very happy to welcome Jocelyn Benson back to Detroit today. Jocelyn, it's great to have you here. It's always great to be here. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Yeah. So uh, we all, of course, remember those harrowing scenes of protesters chanting, mm-hmm. stop the steal and attempting to stop ballot counting in Detroit mm-hmm. in 2020. So uh, let's talk about what has changed since then, changes that you have made to safeguard election officials and the ballots that they're counting to make sure that uh, maybe this looks different in 2022? Well, some things have stayed the same, meaning every way that someone can vote is still an option. So the, from a voter standpoint, they uh, participating in this election is just as it was in, in 2020. But our work on the other end to secure the process is much more intensified than ever before. We have developed strong partnerships, not just with clerks all across the state, but with law enforcement and the Justice Department, uh, which, you know, was not as an active as a partner under previous administrations, but has been an active partner with us now to ensure we're protecting every voice and every vote. And I want voters everywhere all around Michigan to know they can expect and should expect a smooth process on Election Day. Uh, There are certainly going to be efforts potentially to interfere with the smoothness of that process. But we've got over 50 people in the field, a number of others ready to go to immediately intervene if there is any attempt to disrupt the process so that voters can feel safe and that and know that their voice and their vote is protected. We've also got a number of people who have decided to try to become part of the election's infrastructure, I guess I would call Mm -hmm. it, who are uh, election deniers, who are people who who think that fraud is is a kind of baked in part of of our elections here in Michigan. And and I I guess I don't know what their intentions are. Uh, Maybe they just want to make sure that uh, elections run smoothly. But it, it seems to me that from your vantage point, that presents a different kind of, of challenge to make sure not only that people who aren't part of the process aren't disrupting it, but that it's not disrupted uh, internally. Can you talk about the ways uh-huh. in which you, you have to, to, I guess, stay on your toes for that? I think it's important when anyone wants to be a part of the process to note that that's a great thing, because if you're truly, sincerely part of simply making sure that the election goes according to the law, then you will find the several layers of secure protocols we have in place to eliminate the possibility for fraud and find it if it does emerge in limited circumstances so that we can seek consequences upon anyone who tries to break the law. But the bottom line is we've got protocols in place and people in the process who respect the process and who know how important it is to make sure that votes are counted efficiently, smoothly, accurately, and securely. So being a part of the process for the vast majority of people will simply illuminate that more. And yes, we recognize that many have signed up this year to 
service challengers and potentially even poll workers who have been misled, who have been armed in, in, in some ways with misinformation and may have nefarious intentions. Um, every poll worker will have a code of conduct uh, that they will be provided at the beginning of their session so that they understand the rules in place to protect the vote and, and ensure poll workers follow the law. Uh, and again, we, we, we hope for the best and we expect the best. But we will have people all throughout the state, including local, state and federal law enforcement, to enforce the law. If anyone at any point in any stage in the process steps out of line, intimidates voters or tries to interfere or disrupt the elections. So there's a specific example of this that comes to mind as well. Macomb County Clerk Anthony Forlini got a little bit of attention earlier in this election cycle for hiring a 2020 election denier who attended the January 6th attack on the Capitol and the Stop the Steal protests in Detroit and Lansing to, to train poll workers uh, for elections. So I, I, I have asked several people about that. Are, are you concerned that someone with that kind of history is in the position to be, again, part of the elections process? And how do you how do you make sure that that does not further corrupt uh, the things mm-hmm. that uh, that we have in place to make sure that elections work the way they're supposed to. Yeah, I think it's alarming and it's chilling, uh, that decision that the clerk made, uh, mostly because uh, we know how important it is to protect the process uh, from those who may seek to interfere or disrupt it. But we also want to be transparent, and we also want to welcome people into the process with a very clear understanding of what the rules and the laws are and a very clear intention to ensure anyone at any point who violates those rules or those laws or disrupts the election or blocks someone from voting or tries to uh, challenge someone erroneously and, uh, and you know without any validity, uh, that they are unsuccessful in any attempts to interfere with the process. And, and that's really been our focus, to recognize in this moment Transparency is important to ensuring people have rightly placed faith in the process. But there are rules that need to be followed by every person in the system, and we will ensure those rules are followed or remove people who refuse to comply. I'm talking with uh, Jocelyn Benson, who is the Secretary of State here in Michigan. We are just about uh, 24 hours away from uh, the beginning of Election Day 2022, and we're talking about all of the things uh, that the Secretary of State is up to to make sure that these are safe and secure elections, that people are allowed to cast their ballots if they choose to, and that uh, those ballots get counted in the way that they're supposed to. Of course, the, there are greater questions about the ability to make sure all those things happen now, given the things that have happened in our recent past here uh, in Michigan. We also just want to hear from you today about what you're thinking uh, as we get down to uh, the last hours before midterm elections here uh, in 2022. Um, what are the things on your mind? Are there particular races that you're following really closely? Are there candidates that you are really focused on? Uh, what about the ballot proposals? We do have three uh, this time to vote on. What are you thinking about those proposals? Uh, also, if you just have a question for the Secretary of State, uh, give a call and uh, you can you can ask it of her. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. 
and uh, we can work into the conversation. Uh, the Secretary of State is also on the ballot tomorrow, and in a little bit we are going to talk about her campaign for another four years uh, in that office. If you've got questions about that, if you've got uh, things you want to discuss with her about the last four years or the next four years, now is the time to do it. Is Again, 313-577-1019 is the, is the number. Uh, you've said on multiple occasions, Jocelyn, that uh, tomorrow's election is going to decide the fate of our democracy. Um, what kind of impact... Uh, would your opponent have on elections as Secretary of State uh, if she were to win tomorrow uh, and talk about uh, the difference between the two of you? Uh, I can't remember, I guess, a a race for Secretary of the State where, uh, where the two candidates were so different in the way that they see the office and in the way that they see uh, democracy. Um, mm. Draw some contrasts for us. Yeah, you know, in, important. it's important to note that democracy prevailed in 2020, uh, as it always has, because people of integrity on both sides of the aisle uh, stood up and followed the law and ensured that votes were protected, that voters were protected, and that every valid vote was counted and that that election was certified. Now, there's been a concerted effort to replace those folks um, with those who still haven't accepted the truth about the will of the people in 2020, still haven't told the truth about the those very clear, unequivocal results of the election. And when you have the potential now for in a uh, intensified election season, and, and, and there certainly will be one in 2024, uh, to hand the keys over uh, to people on the other who, uh, on the ticket who are, are on the ballot who are running to uh, essentially, um, you know, who, who still haven't been able to tell the truth about the, the past election and who at a time when in 2020 I was working to ensure all across the state that every vote was counted. Um, my opponent and others uh, running for key positions this year were part of a concerted effort to try to overturn the will of the people and deny those results and stop valid votes from being counted. And so that's really the clear choice that voters have. Do you want someone, as I have been, as an incumbent Secretary of State who has an experience defending the voices and votes of every single citizen in the state? Or do you want someone on the other side who's my opponent who even just this last week has demonstrated uh, her determination to block the valid votes of citizens simply because she may not agree with them or or may not agree with how they were cast when in Michigan everyone has a right and option to vote absentee or vote in person. So the choice to me is very stark. It's one between one who's defended democracy and one who's denied or tried to deny democracy. And the impact uh, is is clear in, as we move towards 2024. Do you want a team of people in the state who will be defending the vote against what we anticipate will be another effort to potentially undermine the results? Or uh, do you want, again, those who will essentially from the inside potentially upend election results or block election results or spread lies about election results simply because they don't like them? And so my hope is that every vote can, every voter out there can see this isn't really a partisan choice. It's a choice between facts and conspiracy theories about truth and the rule of law versus um, lies and an effort to upend the law. And I'm, I'm optimistic and hopeful that we'll have the support of, of voters across the aisle and, and really a broad-based coalition of support that we've worked to build over the last several years. So let's talk about your first 
four years in office and some of the things that you've accomplished. Also, give us a sense if there's something that you did or tried to do over the last four hmm. years that, that maybe most voters don't know about. I mean, there, there are a lot of different parts of your job. I wonder if there's, there are things that you wish people paid more attention to. <laughs> well, certainly, I'm really gratified that in just three and a half years, and despite a pandemic, we were able to completely transform our branch office operations, successfully eliminating the hour-long waits that I saw when I visited every office in my first 100 days as Secretary of State. And now, you know, most people don't need to visit an office. Uh, they can do their, their transactions online or at self-service stations in grocery stores. Or if they do have to visit an office, they can be in and out in 20 minutes or less, whether they schedule their visit ahead of time or, or simply walk up. Uh, and so in, in that view, I'm really proud that we have done what for decades um, past secretaries were unable to do and deliver those real results for citizens. I think behind the scenes, there's a lot of work that we've done to make that a reality uh, and, and really make the Department of State an agency where people want to work, where people are happy to work, where people are enjoying their work. And I think that's one of the reasons why our branch operations uh, are have gone so smoothly. When I started, our um, our staff weren't even allowed to have water bottles at their stations in these branch offices, and were you know dealing with a series of just very decisions that that made them unhappy to come at work come to work. And I think that you saw the results of that in in some of the ways in which the branches then operated. So we worked from within to really listen to employees and improve working conditions. And as a result, it made it possible when uh, we worked to transform how the operations were in those offices to bring everything to fruition because we were all one team. And so not everyone sees that behind the scenes work to really build that team. But when you, you have you know thousands of employees, hundreds of employees and branches, uh, it's important that they all be part of the change if we're going to truly succeed in implementing it. And that's one of the big reasons why we were able to get to um, where we've now gotten with branch operations going so well. Uh, the service part of branch operations is always on people's minds when they think uh, of the Secretary of State. And you've taken some real hits from people who felt mm -hmm. like that didn't improve uh, as much as you had promised in the first uh, few years. Are, are you Are you in a position to say, look, I solved those problems. We won't have them anymore. Well, I think, one, it's important to, to note that the hits were coming from uh, Republican lawmakers who were unwilling to work with us to make a lot of changes and changes that we still need to make to the law to ensure we have modernized our branch services, title transactions, title transfers for cars when you buy a new vehicle. Some states allow those transfers to happen online. We need the legislature to change the law to help us do that here in Michigan to increase efficiency of services. So there was a bit of a frustration um, in that regard um, and, and to see that a lot of the hits were part of a more of a political strategy than an actual um, collaborative effort. But that said, uh, and, and, you know, I think throughout the pandemic, you know, we made our services available to critical infrastructure personnel. Uh, and even at the height of the pandemic, quickly opened all of our offices in a way that was still safe for our staff. But the state legislature also created a backlog when they, they made all extended license deadlines come for, to fruition on one day in March of 2021. So we dealt with a lot of those challenges that were in some ways imposed, in my view, for pol political reasons, as, and and still overcame them so that for the last year we've been, and I've been monitoring the data, and I, so I would tell 
folks to look at. Just simply look at the numbers uh, where on any given day, uh, even, um, you know, with, well, well, first, 60% of transactions are now conducted without visiting our offices. That's up from 28% in 2018 when I took office. And then in our branch offices themselves, we have uh, you know, 80% of people who walked up are served immediately, and the rest are scheduling a visit to return in the next 24 hours. And of course, if someone schedules a visit, they can um, be seen right away when they show up for their, their time slot. So that said, we have um, we, we often say the proof is in the pudding, that as citizens actually interact with our office, they will see for themselves the improvements we've made, the consistency of those improvements, and the changes that will stand the test of time, and we hope, again, improve even more if we have more support and collaboration from the legislature in the years ahead. Mm. Uh, we've got a question from Amanda on Twitter, and it's back to uh, election matters. Uh, she's wondering why there isn't a minimum turnout participation requirement for elections. She says uh, the clerk here in Detroit, Janice Winfrey, is predicting about 30 percent turnout. It's actually a little higher than that. I think 33 percent is what she thinks. Uh, she says, how is that OK? How is that representing the will of the people? She says she's terrified about the elections tomorrow, either the fruits of disenfranchisement or the fallout. Uh, you know, uh, the efforts to disrupt the elections infrastructure. I think one of the the potential consequences of that is that people have less faith in the process and and withhold their participation at a greater rate. We have mm-hmm. a huge problem here in Detroit, of course, getting people to feel like it matters uh, if, yeah. they, if they show up. Uh, uh, talk about that, that prediction by the clerk uh, for a pretty low turnout, lower than in 2020. It probably would naturally be a little bit lower, but that number that number startled me too. Mm. Well, first, you know, we're still in the middle of an election cycle, so we'll see how many people participate on election day itself. What we've seen across the state and even in the city uh, is actually a, a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of participation on the absentee ballot side, and we're statewide on track to have the highest turnout midterm election in recent years and or among the highest turnout election midterm elections. Uh, that we've had in the state. And certainly, you know, comparing it to 2020, where we had the highest turnout election in our state's history on all fronts, uh, we have to recognize that that high watermark that we're at that's in in many ways reflective of the options citizens have to vote, that they have themselves voted into our Constitution to give people the option to vote absentee before the election or on the election day itself. So those options have created actually more interest, more engagement, more turnout, in Detroit and elsewhere, and we're seeing that. And, and you know, in the past elections, we've seen 10 or 20 percent turnout to be over 30 percent. I think shows we're on the right direction, but certainly we need to do more. And uh, I remember when I first ran for office in 2010, I believe turnout that, that whole election was in the 30 percentile statewide, 38, 39 percent. And clearly, we're, we have moved beyond that, and we continue on the right trajectory. But it's also accurate to note that one of the in, one of the intended sort of impacts of this multi-year effort to delegitimize democracy that we're in the midst of is to deter turnout, is to is to discourage people from participating and and believing that their voice is going to impact a voter, believing that their voice matters. So we have a lot more work to do, and I hope to be a part of that in the years ahead. To in Detroit and across the state, make people make sure people know the power of their voice, which is all the more important to connect with and act upon in moments like these where there are so many forces at play to try to discourage people from participating or believing that their vote counts. Yeah. 
Okay, uh, Jocelyn Benson, uh, Michigan Secretary of State. It's always great to have you here, but important to have you here the day before the election when all of us go to the polls. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me, and I hope everyone goes out and votes. If you have any questions about the process or need more information, go to michigan.gov slash vote. And if you see anything alarming on Election Day, report it to 866-R-VOTE, O-U-R-V-O-T-E, so that we can address it. Thanks. Yep. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to take a look at where voters in Michigan, the Midwest, and all across the nation are in terms of their policy preferences and polling with Michigan State University political science professor Matt Grossman, who joins us pretty frequently around elections to talk about politics. We want to continue to hear from you on the phones and on social. What are you thinking about with just less than 24 hours before we all go cast our votes tomorrow. Give us a call, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Bringing you news that matters. Stories that impact your life. Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Again, we are just a day away from the 2022 midterm elections, and in a year that saw public uproar over the Supreme Court's decision overturning Roe v. Wade, election deniers running on lots of ballots and several unconventional GOP candidates, there was a time, I guess, when many thought the Democrats probably had a good shot at maybe winning majorities nationally in the House and Senate, something that doesn't really happen in midterm elections. Of course, that's no longer even the case. As we head into this election, concerns about inflation, immigration, and the cultural strains that are playing out in our country are gaining a lot of focus and leading some to wonder whether the issues that had animated the left, liberal voters, will be enough to hold off a possibly red wave nationally, the thing that you would naturally expect in a year like this one. We are talking a lot about why people are behaving the way they are, why they're voting for the candidates that they choose, why they think the way they do about the issues. And one reason that we might be missing exactly what happens is that we don't really understand each other. If we're in one party, if we're on one side of the political spectrum, we don't spend a lot of time thinking really about what animates the other side. Just look at the ads that are running ahead of tomorrow's election. When you look closely, they reveal something fundamental about voters today. Democrats and Republicans think fundamentally differently about their politics. They are motivated by really different policy ideas. They rely on distinctly different sources of information. And as a result, they often argue past each other, leading to political campaigns and ads and messaging that doesn't seem to line up with what many voters say they want. 
So what are we getting wrong about each other? What are we getting wrong about voters who disagree with us? And what do we get wrong uh, about the process of figuring out how not just to elect the people we want, but to help them actually govern, to implement policy imperatives once they're in office. That is where we want to continue the conversation here on Detroit Today, talking about where we are as an electorate 24 hours before the elections. To help us answer all of these questions and more, I'm joined by one of the leading thinkers in political science. Matt Grossman is a professor of political science at Michigan State University, and he is the director of the Institute for Public Policy and Social Research. He is also the host of the Science of Politics podcast. Uh, Matt, welcome back to Detroit Today. Good morning. Good to be with you. Yeah. So uh, let me start with your predictions, 24 hours. That's what I got up this morning was going through Twitter and other social media feeds, looking at all of the final predictions that people were putting out there about what is going to happen tomorrow. Is this going to be a red wave election that looks like most midterm elections where whatever party is in the White House takes something of uh, a drubbing? Or uh, is the, the, the nature of the trouble inside the GOP uh, going to make them less successful in taking back power from the Democrats? Either of those is certainly possible. Uh, the <laughs> most uh, likely outcome is probably somewhere down the middle. This will be uh, a uh, an election where Republicans are likely to gain seats uh, nationally, uh, but uh, not as much as uh, the out party of the presidency typically wins in a midterm election. So most likely uh, you'll see a Republican uh, win, uh, but not uh, as big as the Democratic win in 2018, which was about average. Yeah. Um, so uh, back in 2016, in your book, Asymmetric Politics, you argued that uh, Democrats and Republicans think about politics in a fundamentally different way. Some of what I was kind of talking about in the open here. So I would love for you to define that difference for our listeners and talk about how it may have changed even since 2016, which is not all that long ago. Well, the traditional difference is that uh, Republicans tend to think of politics as a broad battle over the size and scope of government and the direction of society, uh, whereas Democrats think of it uh, as a series of discrete policy debates about helping various groups uh, that uh, need help or specific policies uh, that they favor. Uh, and so uh, Republicans tend to campaign sort of against the, the broad direction uh, that society is taking under Democrats, and Republican and Democrats tend to campaign uh, sort of in favor of uh, particular uh, policies that uh, they think uh, will appeal to each group in their broad coalition. And so what, what is going on now where I think we see certainly more rancor, uh, over our politics than we have in the past. But but we also see more fundamental mistrust, right? I think uh, voters on both sides of, uh, of the aisle believe that the voters on the other side want something evil or nefarious. And I think that uh, there's a belief that if your side loses – you're not just losing a contest, but that uh, but that the country itself 
is somehow at at stake, and and that seems to be a more urgent concern now than it used to be. And part of that reflects um, real learning and real change that the the parties do disagree on almost everything, uh, and that uh, they've kind of taken clear perspectives, and there are. Very few uh, candidates uh, or groups that sort of break away from their party's mold, so you really can make uh, a partisan decision about who to support and have that uh, have have clear expectations about what that is likely uh, to lead to. Uh, but we also have some misperceptions of extremism. So um, any characteristic uh, that is sort of true of the Democrats or true of the Republicans, uh, voters tend to exaggerate. So, for example, they think that the Democratic Party is composed primarily of racial minority groups, or the Republican Party is proposed is composed primarily of evangelical white men. So uh, th- there are true differences between the parties, um, but uh, we tend to exaggerate them, not just socially, but also in terms of positions. We sort of imagine uh, the average Democrat as holding all of the positions of the most extreme Democrats and vice versa. Uh, and so that makes it harder for us to see anything in common. Yeah. Um, this is uh, Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. And our guest is Matt Grossman, director of the Institute for Public Policy and Social Research at Michigan State University. He's also a, a professor of political science at MSU and host of the Science of Politics podcast. We're talking about all the issues that are swirling around tomorrow tomorrow's elections, uh, where we stand on those issues and where we stand uh, beside the election itself. Uh, How divided uh, is the country? Uh, What is it divided about? Is it really about issues or is it about a more fundamental cultural cleave uh, that separates us? Uh, We want to hear from you about what's on your mind as we get closer to casting our ballots tomorrow. Uh, Although, of course, there's lots of people who've already voted given that you can vote absentee at any time here in Michigan. But give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And uh, we can work you into the we can work you into the conversation that way, uh, Matt. Uh, before we get to our listeners, I want to talk about what's going on here in Michigan. Um, I, I feel like, given that this is a midterm election and the party in power in Washington is supposed to um, be punished by voters for the first two years that they've been in control, Michigan is one of the states that really stands out as an exception, and and there are particular reasons. For that, but uh, as of right now, I think it's probably um, safe to, to to predict that uh, the wins here for Democrats might might be bigger than they are nationally. Uh, but 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 I I I would love to hear your your take uh, on on where we are in Michigan. Well, that's right. Uh, There is a a long-running national pattern where the party out of uh, power in the presidency uh, tends to do better in midterm elections. That's not because of any recent change that's occurred for over 100 years in U.S. politics. It also occurs internationally in systems where uh, the presidency is elected separately uh, from elections in between. Um, so it's a well-established pattern that voters tend to blame uh, the, the party of the executive uh, for things that they, they don't like and not necessarily credit or come back uh, to vote in favor of uh, the, the party that is already in power. In Michigan, uh, we are uh, running up against 
the the convergence of two trends pointing in opposite directions. So incumbents typically win uh, Michigan gubernatorial elections, um, but uh, the uh, party out of the presidency also typically wins. So I think it's 18 out of the last 21 uh, gubernatorial elections have been won by the party out of power in the presidency, um, but a similar uh, uh, record for the incumbent. Uh, so uh, this we get to test that this year uh, and see uh, whether uh, Whitmer uh, will be able to take advantage uh, of that. Uh, we, of course, have a couple of specific circumstances in Michigan. One, of course, is the abortion initiative, Reproductive Rights um, uh, Proposition 3, uh, which is seen as a potential way uh, to energize uh, Democratic turnout and also take advantage of uh, the, the backlash uh, to the abortion decision by the Supreme Court. So one reason uh, that uh, we do see a midterm backlash is because the party in power enacts a bunch of policy uh, and voters typically see it as going too far. Uh, but this year, uh, the party in, out of power, the Republicans, have been able to uh, implement a, a large change in policy uh, with the Supreme Court. Uh, so we get to test whether that backlash can compensate uh, for the usual backlash against uh, the executive branch. The other factors in Michigan are uh, that uh, the Republican Party, of course, had a lot of trouble with its candidates uh, for governor uh, and introduced someone who most people knew nothing about. Uh, and the Republican, I mean, the Democrats had been able to define uh, Tudor Dixon primarily on her position uh, on abortion uh, early in the in the race. Uh, and Republicans have sort of been been playing catch up since then. Uh, they also nominated a series of unknown candidates uh, for the other uh, statewide uh, offices uh, of Attorney General and uh, Secretary of State. Uh, and then, of course, the third huge factor is redistricting. Uh, we had an independent uh, commission, and so that meant that regardless of which way the political winds were blowing this year, uh, the the Democrats were going to have a much better chance in the state House and state Senate because the maps are drawn uh, such that the winner of the statewide vote is much more likely to be the winner of the, the uh, majority in each chamber. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. David in Royal Oak says tomorrow's election is very important. It is a vote for democracy against fascism. But he has talked to a lot of people who say they aren't voting. David, uh, I have also heard from those folks, and I'm trying to encourage them to go cast a ballot, no matter who it is that they're voting for. There aren't enough people who vote uh, in our democracy, and we need more of them to participate. Um, let's uh, quickly go to Martha in Ortonville. Martha, welcome to the show. Yes, good morning, Stephen. Hey. Here with my biannual reminder, and I was hoping to catch Attorney General Nessel to support me on this. A lot of people think you have to know who to vote for in every single Slot on your on your ballot, and if you don't know who to vote for for drain commissioner, you can leave it empty. If you if it's important to you to vote for governor and the abortion issue, those are the only two things you have to fill in, and then you can leave. Yeah, that's true. And, and they think they have to know everything and know to. To, to go because it's important to you to vote, but then start guessing on categories that you don't know, you may be putting a vote for somebody you don't even want. So just skip that category, yeah. right? Yeah. Martha, that's great advice. And, and my, my other question is, 
maybe your professor can answer this one. I don't understand why somebody who says they haven't successfully made any changes yet. Well, number one, they have. But I understand being down and despondent, and it's difficult to get the right people in there. But how is not voting going to help anything? Yeah. It's a great question, Martha, and and again, it echoes the comment that David uh, sent to us on Twitter. This idea of turnout, um, Matt Grossman, the predictions for for turnout are kind of all over the place. I feel like for for tomorrow, they seem pretty low in Detroit, which I think has Democrats a little concerned. Um, but talk about the 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 way our politics affect the sense that people have that uh, their participation matters. Well, first, I want to echo the the, the voting uh, comments that, uh, yes, you don't have to vote on everything. Uh, you can also, uh, we have a straight ticket option, or we have, um, you know, you can vote as, on as much or as little as you uh, would like uh, on our uh, ballot. Uh, and it is actually a international pattern that uh, one reason we have low turnout is because we have so many elections and we have uh, so many things on the ballot, um, and that does tend to uh, tend to deter uh, turnout. The good news is uh, that uh, 2018 was the highest uh, midterm uh, turnout level in uh, seven decades or so, and uh, the uh, presidential uh, turnout in 2020 was also the highest turnout in 40 or so years. Um, so uh, we are actually on an upswing in turnout, and the question is whether this time we're going to go back uh, nearer to like the 2014 level uh, midterm turnout, which was incredibly low. Uh, compared to 2018, or whether we'll stay at the high uh, levels. Uh, so the the positive case would be uh, that uh, people are sort of habituated uh, to, to voting now. Those people who voted in 2018 and 2020 uh, may, maybe have found a way to vote early or uh, have gotten used to, to voting uh, will participate um, this time that they haven't uh, participated in the past. Um, but the uh, negative case would be that um, one thing Donald Trump did for our politics was turn out a lot of people. He mm. turned out uh, people on the Republican side, but he turned out even more on the Democratic side. Uh, and it could be uh, that without uh, him being on the ballot, uh, people aren't as motivated to participate. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we need to take another quick break. When we come back, we'll continue to talk with Matt Grossman about uh, tomorrow's elections and our politics. Also continue to hear from you on the phones and on social duty in Detroit, Dennis and Dearborn. We'll get to you as well. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number. You can also go to Twitter, hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Matt Grossman, director of the Institute for Public Policy and Social Research, also a professor of political science at Michigan State University. He's the host of the Science of Politics podcast. Uh, we're talking about tomorrow's elections and our politics and where we stand as we get ready to go to the polls uh, tomorrow. Um, we also want to hear from you, of course, about uh, what you're thinking, what you're thinking about, what races are you looking at, what candidates have you uh, 
uh, really excited. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Lonnie in Detroit. Lonnie, welcome to the show. How you doing? Good. I, I listen to you all the time. Oh, thank you. I just realized something. Why people in the city of Detroit don't vote. They don't vote because they are not registered in the city of Detroit. They register in another uh, another city for auto insurance. And when it comes time to vote, they don't go back to that place where they registered to vote. Hmm. They did it for auto insurance to keep the auto insurance down, like they live in Detroit, but they but they their cousins or somebody or their family member got them registered in Westland to vote. That's a, that's a legal address, and now they, they, they can't vote in the city of Detroit, so they don't go back to Westland to vote, and it's because of auto insurance. Yeah. That, you know, that has been an issue, of course, in Detroit for a long time, the things and the contortions that people put themselves through to not have to pay uh, those insurance premiums. Matt Grossman, I wonder what you think of Lonnie's theory here. Well, it is uh, true that uh, the further you have to go to, to vote, the less likely you are to, to make it. Um, but we do have a uh, series of things that now make it easier. Of course, you can uh, get an absentee ballot uh, that you can mail in. Uh, you can take advantage of early voting opportunities uh, at clerk's offices. Um, so there are. Um, it is easier than ever to register to vote and to change your registration, and easier than ever uh, to vote early uh, if you can't make it to the, the polling uh, place. Um, but but it is true that uh, the the further you are away from where you might be registered, the harder it is to make it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lonnie, really appreciate the call and the comments. Uh, let's go to Judy in Detroit. Judy, welcome to the show. Um, hello and good morning to both of you. I uh, am a Democrat, uh, African American, live in Detroit, but I have tried very much to speak with anyone that I find that is a Republican without making it difficult for them. And I very, very much identify with what uh, Professor Grossman is talking about, is what uh, Democrats tend to uh, deal with or think about. And yet I really do want to hear the other side of the re- how Republicans actually think, because I think it has to do with their experiences in their lives. And I want to try to understand that. It is so difficult to try to, to find that place to talk about it rather than convince each other of one's ideas. I've joined uh, one step, uh, one small step, and of course I've not been called. Um, I'm asking the Professor Grossman, how can, what what venues are there for people to actually talk about, you know, civilly talk about their different issues and their ideas, if he has any ideas about that? Hmm. Uh, great question, Judy. Uh, Matt, go ahead. Well, it is becoming more difficult um, because, of course, we are having geographic polarization along with partisan polarization. So unless we get out of our uh, neighborhoods and as lo- unless we draw join um, organizations that cross geographic boundaries, then it's going to be harder uh, for us to, to, to run into uh, people on the, on the other side. Um, w- ways to do it are to think about issues where you might have um, more 
uh, sympathy with the with the other side's uh, position and see if there's any uh, effort there uh, to try to join maybe a charitable organization where you would expect people in a different uh, place uh, to come into interaction with. But I don't have any great solutions for you, unless you um, might potentially want to run for office. And then we do have the Michigan Political Leadership Program, uh, which is run by our institute, and that sends 12 Democrats and 12 Republicans a year around the state uh, to uh, get to know Michigan uh, and to train on policy and, and politics. So that's a way to, to meet some up-and-comers uh, in the Michigan political scene. And um, you, you would room with every, uh, every person from the other uh, party on that effort. So you'd at least uh, meet, uh, meet uh, some, some, some Democrats and uh, some Republicans. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Judy, I really appreciate the call and your sentiment, of course, uh, wanting to to try to reach out at least to, to the other side. Uh, let's go next to Phyllis and Warren. Phyllis, welcome to the show. Hi, Stephen. Uh, thank you to your guest. I'm, I'm sorry we have such problems with the election, but think of what's been leading up to this election. Commercial, 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 commercial. And all we're getting are movie pictures of candidates. We don't know what they really think. We don't have them one-on-one in discussing an issue. And when we have an electorate that is not very well educated in many places, the school systems are failing us. I, I feel they're inadequate. They're not doing a good job. And how can we get a good election? How can we get the numbers of people who want to go out to, for a popularity contest? Mm. Yeah, quite a great question, uh, Phyllis. I appreciate the call. Uh, Matt, uh, go ahead. Well, I, I tend to think people actually underestimate uh, the, the the effects uh, that uh, education and uh, learning actually have on increasing polarization. Uh, so it it, it the, the main trend in U.S. politics is that, um, you know, since the 1970s, more and more people understand the differences between the political parties and know which side uh, they generally favor. And more people now are actually able to choose candidates uh, that are uh, closer to them on an ideological spectrum or on an issue spectrum uh, than they have been uh, in the past. Um, and it's actually the most educated uh, part of the, the public uh, that has become the most polarized. Uh, so it doesn't seem to be the case that uh, sort of um, general education uh, or civic literacy or involvement um, will necessarily kind of move us uh, to making individual decisions about candidates. Um, instead, what it tends to do is um, inform us about what, which side we generally agree with, uh, and uh, that uh, tends to make us uh, stick to that side. Yeah. Okay, uh, Matt Grossman, any predictions you want to make before, <laughs> before we end here? <laughs> well, um, I, I will say that um, people do have trouble making distinctions between candidates, and so I think that uh, the governor's race, the secretary of state's race, and the attorney general race will all be actually within a few points of each other, mm. uh, and um, you're not going to see a whole lot of people um, being able to, to cross uh, party lines to say vote for a Republican candidate uh, for one office, uh, but, but not for the others. So even though we have very different candidate races, um, I expect to see uh, very party line statewide voting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Matt Grossman, always great to have you here with us uh, on Detroit Today and uh, great to get your insights ahead of election 2022. Thanks for joining. Thank you. Okay. That's going to do it for us today. Remember to, if you have not already, 
go cast your ballot tomorrow. Very important election. No matter who you decide to vote for, just make sure you be part of the process. It is uh, your right and, I think, part of your responsibility uh, as a citizen here in America. All right, come back tomorrow when we're going to spend Election Day looking at curious minds and the power of connection with philosopher Perry Zern. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.